All right, welcome back, everybody. Today, I am joined by Brad Robinson. He is the Senior Director of Cybersecurity Policy and Supervision here at CSBS. Brad, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Matt. So we are here to talk about something pretty interesting today. Um, Just recently, CSBS released the ransomware self-assessment tool, and we're going to kind of get to that in a minute. But before we get there, just to make sure everybody's level set, what is ransomware? Okay, that's an excellent starting question. So there are a lot of things that um, are at the disposal of, of criminal actors, and ransomware is is really the, the thing that gets the most attention, the, really the most potentially impactful cyber threat to financial institutions. Um, basically, ransomware is just a form of malicious software that, that once it's deployed in the system can actually lock your system up, your files, lock your files up, uh, and even your network. And to release your files... Uh, the threat actors demand payment or ransoms, uh, hence the name ransomware. Uh, ransomware in its simplest form can simply lock your systems and prevent, you know, a user from accessing data. But uh, more commonly, when it's deployed, uh, it actually encrypts files, making access to that data impossible without decryption keys, which are often promised but never delivered uh, in some instances in exchange for uh, payment in difficult-to-trade cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin or Monero. Um, you know, the very first primitive ransomware attack occurred way back in 1989. And since that time, you know, ransomware has really grown into a very lucrative and dangerous tool for, for both individual cyber criminals and uh, really sophisticated criminal organizations all over the world. Um, believe it or not, some, some organizations today operate under organized management structures. They have uh, operator benefits and bonus, bonuses, IT support staff, and even HR departments. Um, you know, and these individual operators can live exav- extravagant lifestyles, and they, they spend thousands of dollars on lavish parties and luxury cars and expensive homes. And this is all driven in large part by finances obtained from the rest of us through the use of ransomware. So to put it simply, uh, it's a piece of software, a piece of malware that gets into your system, shuts everything down, and then there's a business. Sometimes it's a few people. Sometimes it's a big, sophisticated organization who demands money in order to get something back or to not release files. About right? That's about right. And and to give a little context into the money behind this, um, according to our friends at Chainalysis, um, through the first six months of of this year, 2023, uh, ransomware attack victims have paid ransomware groups uh, just under half a billion dollars uh, just the first six months alone. Uh, and at this pace, the, the total ransoms paid might hit somewhere in the neighborhood of $900 million at the end of the year. Uh, and for context, the total number of ransomware payments um, for all of 22 failed to exceed $500 million. So we're already there. 2022 is kind of a down year for ransomware. Uh, but every indication is that 2023 is kind of headed in the opposite direction. And if these figures hold fast, 2023 could be the second biggest year for ransomware revenue after 2021 uh, and just barely behind 2021. We're, we're, we're on pace for potentially a record year for the number of ransoms paid. So it's very financially lucrative for uh, threat operators and threat actors to uh, engage in deploying ransomware. Uh, a lot of potential upside, um, sort of a low opportunity for being caught. So we're talking about a billion-dollar illegal industry with a lot of incentive and, and very little risk of getting caught. Who is typically targeted by ransomware? Who's at risk? Uh, individual, every one of us. Individuals, businesses alike. Uh, it really doesn't discriminate. You know, the days of being able to play percentages and 
we're too small or we're too isolated to have to worry about this issue. Those are really a, a thing of the past. And what we're seeing now is that the current ransomware threat environment is kind of being uh, enhanced by a lot of things that are going on overseas. Uh, the Russia-Ukraine conflict uh, and more recently the, the conflicts in the Middle East. Uh, those raise concerns uh, for threat actor uh, activities. Uh, nation state sponsored threat actors um, groups that are sympathetic to those governments, uh, they're really among the most prolific groups associated with uh, politically motivated attacks and really attacks just in general. So this can be politically motivated, financially motivated. And so the reason I brought you here today is because on October 24th, CSPS released something called the Ransomware Self-Assessment Tool. Give me an idea what this tool is and who it's for. Sure. So back in 2020, uh, CSPS recognized the potential impact of ransomware for our banks and our non-depository institutions. And, and working with our state regulators, the, the Bank Electronics, Bankers Electronics Crimes Task Force uh, and the U.S. Secret Service, we developed a simple questionnaire uh, to help those institutions really focus uh, in on a few controls and procedures to better prepare against the threat of ransomware. Uh, and the end result was that uh, we developed a 16-question questionnaire. It was designed really to give uh, executive management and the board with an overview of how the institution's preparing uh, towards, towards five key NIST functions, and that is identifying, protecting, detecting, responding to, and recovering from a ransomware attack. Um, it can also help third parties, uh, auditors, security consultants, even regulators that, are, that, are, that might be reviewing a financial institution security practices. Um, and we often get the question, Matt, of what's the difference between the RSAT and the FFIEC cybersecurity assessment tool? And that's a really good question. Um, the FFIEC CAT tool uh, is extremely useful for what it is. And, and it's meant to be a much broader look at an institution's information security posture. Uh, but it has 39 questions divided into 494 declarative statements. Uh, and obviously, parsing through that many questions, it really isn't useful in really honing in on those controls that are specifically relevant to ransomware. Um, we think the RSAT really kind of fills in that gap. It's particularly useful uh, due to its brevity and its focus on really channeling the user's thinking into ransomware specifically. So NIST has some best practices and some guidelines for folks, and the FFIEC, the Federal Financial Institutions Examination Council, also has a cybersecurity assessment tool. But this tool is specifically for financial institutions and specifically focused on ransomware. That's correct? Right. It, 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 it's not a substitute for using um, the FFIEC's cybersecurity assessment tool or CIS controls or uh, the CRI risk profile, in, any of those frameworks um, is something that there's a regulatory expectation out there that, that an institution uh, adopt a framework. It's really a choice. We, we don't really specify um, one framework. We don't, we don't endorse one framework over the other. But this is really something separate to really encourage institutions to think specifically about ransomware. Um, because it really is hard sometimes to extract those specific controls uh, in the context of looking at the institution's overall uh, risk posture. So you're talking about financial institutions, and to me that seems like a big target for someone who is engaging in a ransomware attack. There's a lot of financial incentive to target them. 
I noticed that this RSAT is not the first one you've put out. So the initial RSAT for banks was released in 2020, I believe. Now it's 2023. Why the update? Um, so yeah, a lot of things have really changed in the last three years since the original RSAT was released. Um, so when you get right down to it, there are really two main factors that steer this update. That's changes in the threat environment and changes in the way bad actors do things. Uh, and changes in bank environments and controls. So uh, there's been only a shift in the way ransomware threat actors do things, but there's also been some movements in the way banks address uh, preparations for dealing with those uh, those new attack methods. Um, you know, financially motivated actors, uh, are they're, they're prolific, uh, and the geopolitical picture is, is so clouded as a result of what's going on overseas. Uh, and then you have, again, the nation-state-sponsored uh, nation-state-enabled or sympathetic threat actors, you know, ransomware really isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Um, there are new attack methodologies that come out all the time that these ransomware threat groups are, are implementing and utilizing. Um, large and small, you know, these threat actors are really leveraging ransomware with increasing organization and increasing efficiency. Um, you know, your traditional ransomware attack has always been thought of as we encrypt the victim's data and then they have to pay to get that back. But but threat actors are actually utilizing ransomware attacks now that are kind of taking a multifaceted approach. They encrypt the data and they exfiltrate the data. So they not only make it unavailable for you to use, but they also take it from you. Um, and sometimes they combine that with something like a DDoS attack to really increase pressure on those entities to make payments uh, of those ransoms. You know, we saw that in, in the Move It transfer software attack. Um, as we saw in that type of attack, you know, some, some organizations are actually just foregoing the encryption of data. We're not even going to mess with encrypting the data. Uh, and they just simply extort victims for the data that they've stolen. Um, that's not really um, something that we're seeing across the board change, but uh, it's something that um, could be theoretically utilized when a lot of organizations are impacted or when their data is particularly sensitive, something that um, becomes really more valuable if that data is made public. Um, and the, it's the emergence of those extortion-only tactics that are that are basically requiring institutions to increase focus on preventative measures and other response elements to address those issues where the data is not being encrypted, it's just being exfiltrated. Um, and we also, again, wanted to make changes because of changes in bank environments and controls. So uh, back in August of 2021, there was an interagency guidance piece on authentication. That really helped bring the for to the forefront some of the significant risks associated with ransomware and other, and other cyber threats as well, and the need for institutions to really uh, do authentication right, authenticating users and consumers to, to protect those systems, their accounts, and the customer's data. Uh, and in piecing together the RSAT, we really thought it was important to cast a, a, sort of a wider spotlight on MFA uh, as a foundational control. But, so we also thought it was practical to revamp the RSAT to more uh, clearly address and, and get some additional thinking from our institutions about other security controls, things like cloud security, uh, incident response planning, and, and employee training and awareness. These are all key foundational controls that we thought might need a little more emphasis in the RSAT. Um, and, and all this work really to update the RSAT is, is just a culmination of 12 months of work from uh, from bankers, from state regulators, and CSBS. We had input from the FDIC and the U.S. Secret Service. Uh, and that's kind of the driver for delivering 
uh, get sort of getting the band together and uh, delivering that update to the RSAT. So you brought together experts across the spectrum. You brought in industry. You brought in people with experience uh, with ransomware attacks. And, you know, I'm curious now, if I'm working at a financial institution in IT or in compliance, i got to be asking myself, you know, is this tool really meant for me? So, so who is this tool meant for? What institutions should be using this? Is it banks that are only below $10 million in assets? Is it small institutions? If you've got a staff of 300 IT individuals and you've got over $100 billion in assets, you know, who would benefit from utilizing this RSAT? I think that's the benefit of the brevity of this tool is that um, it's really designed for everybody. You know, there are some very, very, very small community financial institutions out there, uh, folks with one branch, single-digit number of employees, maybe no ATMs, but they have systems that they rely on and they have customer data that's just as important as the data that's being held by um, a large, say, a national a national bank, a significant financial institution, we, we kind of look at that as all the data is important. And the, the, the benefit of the brevity of the RSAT is that uh, every institution can use this tool. Um, it's, t- it's really designed to be used by banks and credit unions, obviously. Um, the controls, the policies, the procedures that are contained in the RSAT, they're really applicable to everybody. But it's very—it's really built around some of the things that are very specific to those types of financial institutions. Um, there are only 20 questions. Um, it's really designed for someone in IT, IT personnel in these institutions, someone who can really drill into the details of the RSAT and provide some meaningful answers to some of the more technical aspects of the document. Um, I'll say that as we up, we're updating the document, we wanted to to keep that brevity in the document, which is sort of a selling point to financial institutions. And it, we we all know how many checklists and assessments, uh, and sort of a burden that they have to complete, uh, sort of on an ongoing basis. Uh, it really shouldn't take a knowledgeable ind- individual more than just a few brief hours to complete the document. Um, and I'd also say this. We, we, got, we have a lot of questions around the fact that the document doesn't provide the user with a score or a rating once it's completed. Uh, and that was really done by design. Um, we believe ransomware poses such a significant threat, and we wanted to provide a brief document that could be uh, completed, evaluated, explained with ease. Uh, the idea is for the institution of, of any size, uh, at the end of the day, to have a document that requires a little bit of introspective evaluation to yield a few things that can be addressed with senior management and the board. Uh, we'd like for institutions to really focus on what's missing or what's needed rather than some arbitrary score that really doesn't promote that discussion. That's just something you lose when you give a score or a, rate or a rating. Uh, if you can approach senior management or the board with a little list of things to discuss, uh, that's far more meaningful for the institution. You know, we have a 30-minute or an hour-long presentation with the board once or twice a year. Um, we don't think really is too much to ask for the potential benefit that you'll receive by investing in that time. So, so that is a, a lot of insight, you know, all to say that you've brought together some of the best industry experts in cybersecurity. You have developed a tool that is short, direct, to the point, designed to help financial institutions figure out their ransomware posture. 
You've tried to make it as easy as possible to, to have an IT person bring it to their board. You've put all of that together. So let's imagine an ideal world for you where this is widely adopted, mm -hmm. institutions across the spectrum all pick this up and all utilize it. They all share it with their boards. States, you know, utilize it when they're looking in, at compliance exams and just, just everybody is on board. Who benefits from all of this additional effort and work that's been put in and that could be potentially put in by institutions? All right. So um, I, I would think this could be broken down into to sort of three parts. There's industry, there's regulators and regulatory agencies, and then there's the, the, the consumer. So um, I, I look at the RSN as a potential win-win for everybody. Um, from an industry perspective, obviously, there's a lot of vested interest for all of us in helping to make our institution safer. I mean, and as we talked about, ultimately every single organization, whether they're large or small, uh, is subject to falling victim to ransomware. And it doesn't really matter whether that attack comes from some small-time organization or a sophisticated international criminal enterprise. You know, each are capable, equally capable, of deploying ransomware that can create a huge lingering headache for even the most prepared institutions. But for the unprepared, those that aren't really looking at ransomware as the threat that it is, um, at th these attacks can be far more serious. You know, you're talking things like uh, damage to brand reputation that's difficult or even sometimes impossible to repair. Uh, there are regulatory and legal consequences. You know, significant operation impacts to operation. You have customers that can't um, access services and can't access products. Uh, and in a worst-case scenario, this, this could potentially lead to the failure of a financial institution. And it doesn't matter whether the victim is large or small. Those consequences are really the same, and it, and it really can be an existential threat to an institution. Um, as regulators, you know, we, we have a duty to ensure that our institutions are operating with the best interests of their customers and their shareholders and depositors in mind. Um, if a regulator performs an exam uh, at an institution that's using the RSAT, um, you know, reviewing that document can serve as a catalyst for having meaningful discussions with management. Um, completing that document really can give that institution a foundation for making change where necessary. Uh, and certainly that's something I'm happy to see when I'm on site doing an examination. Uh, it's a tool intended for institutions, but there's certain utility for examiners and regulatory agencies looking for those uh, constructive conversations with management. Uh, and for consumers, I think the benefit is pretty obvious. You know, outside of the operational considerations for uh, the institution, you know, ransomware in nearly every instance can create a, an equally tremendous headache for customers, as we talked about earlier. Um, systems go down. Customer service becomes strained at best. Uh, and more importantly, customer data can be lost, stolen, or exposed in a ransomware attack. Uh, and nobody wants that to happen. Um, no institution wants to pin that letter to a customer explaining how a cyber incident that compromised their um, happened that how a cyber incident happened that compromised their information, uh, and certainly customers who are trusting the institution with their information and their money, uh, they don't want to hear that either. Um, so I, I do want to I do want to wrap some, <clears throat> something up here, Pat, as we're talking about the RSAT and the benefit of the RSAT. Um, I want to talk just a minute, if I can, about a state-led study that reveal, revealed a few interesting facts uh, on ransomware from, from financial institutions that actually suffered a ransomware attack. So um, this is a study that was conducted uh, of victims of ransomware attacks in financial institutions ac across the U.S. Uh, during a four-year period between 
uh, the 1st of January of 2019 and the end of 2022. Uh, multiple state banking departments uh, participated in the study uh, and a written summary report. Uh, we've made that available on uh, for download and review on our website. Uh, and we complete this study really as a supplementary driver for some of the changes that we wanted to make uh, in the updated RSI that was just recently released. Um, there are a few of the preliminary findings that come to mind from the study. I wanted to share just a couple of these right quick. Um, Multi-factor authentication, that was, we found that that was something that was implemented by every single victim uh, after the incident if they weren't already using it. And this ties back to what we mentioned earlier with the additional focus we wanted to place on multi-factor, uh, protecting access, uh, monitoring hyper-local as well as traditional social media. Uh, that's important to manage misinformation and to maintain customer confidence during an incident. Uh, we talked about things such as next-door neighborhood and citizen. Uh, they operate a little bit differently than traditional social media networks like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. Uh, and, and the participants in the study noted the importance of monitoring these applications uh, to really understand the community's perspective on uh, an incident that may be ongoing in an institution. Uh, and I want to close today with really what is the most prevalent revelation from the study. Um, it seems a little self-serving, and uh, but I wanted to share this because I think it puts a nice bow on things. So most victims that were identified in the study, and again, these are, vic these are financial institutions that have actually suffered a ransomware attack had not used the RSAT to guide their ransomware risk mitigation efforts. But every single institution in the study uh, began using it fully after the attack. In other words, it's a lessons learned opportunity. It does provide an easy to use tool to keep institutions out of studies like this in the future. Uh, but, but really for that benefit to be realized, it's really critical that our own institutions uh, embrace its regular use as part of their institutional risk management programs. So it's something you can't say, but I'm going to go ahead and say it because I'm, I'm not a, a regulator at heart. What's, what's implicit in, in that message is the institutions who suffered ransomware attacks wish they had used the RSAT. That, that's right. Because, and they changed their behavior afterwards too. And this is an opportunity to address cha changing behaviors and changing focus. And it's necessary to have a little more of a tractor beam type focus on ransomware because it's it's such a terrible problem, and the impacts, even in the most well-prepared institutions, you could take a well-prepared institution, somebody that's kind of got all their ducks in a row, uh, can cause difficulty for weeks, even in those institutions. And oh, you're right, it's, it is a lesson learned, and it's something that, a changed behavior that came as a result of something bad, and this tool is sort of an opportunity to kind of head that off at the pass and, and keep this from being a problem that you have to address after an incident. Seems like the war against cyber criminals will never truly end, but it sounds like you've given people one more tool to fight against them. So, Brad, thank you so much for coming. This was really helpful, and I hope that some compliance officers and some IT officers are listening and thinking about this tool today. Me too. Right. Me too. Thank you. Thank you, Matt.